This is recording number 11087 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 19, 2014. This is the third message in a series titled, The Dynamic Disciplines. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Fellowship. Sharing the Experience. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be getting there in just a minute. We're going to continue this uh, study that we've been involved in called the Dynamic Disciplines. Although there's no place you could turn to in the scripture and there would be a list of 5, 7, 10, 12, I don't know, however many uh, spiritual disciplines that are life-giving because that's what dynamic means, living or or lively. Um, There clearly are spiritual disciplines that cause the depth the depth of Christ's life in me to be more substantial. And you can't open the Bible and uh, read the stories of the men and women that populate this book without encountering these disciplines on display in their lives. You can't read or hear the testimony of, of a believer that you would like to be like or a person who, by reason of their walk with Christ, are making a difference in this world. You can't get below the surface of their story without encountering these disciplines because they're just always there. And uh, so we're talking about at least, I mean, I think of the dynamic disciplines at least of including these five. There may be more. But Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, and giving. We've talked about Bible reading uh, under the subtitle Truing the Compass a couple of weeks ago. Last week, prayer deepening the relationship. Today, we're going to talk about um, fellowship, sharing the experience. Next week, evangelism, investing the treasure. And then you still have two weeks to go to plan your vacation so that you can be away from here on the 2nd of February when we talk about giving, loosening the grip. I've given you fair warning. But today, as I've said, we're going to be talking about fellowship. Now, in the New Testament, the word, the English word that you encounter, fellowship, is a translation of a Greek word, koinonia, or kinonia, depending on which uh, translation, or uh, uh, what's the right word, pronunciation uh, scheme you subscribe to. How many of you have heard of koinonia? Yeah, it's pretty, it's it's a word that if you hang around in church, you know, for any length of time, you pretty much will encounter it. But... But the word fellowship uh, is not a word that we use outside of church very much. I mean, when was the last time you used that word in a sentence outside of church? Not likely any time in the recent past. And for one reason, it doesn't really apply outside of the church. I mean, that's not why we use it. We don't use it outside of church because we think of it as one of those kind of stained last words that nobody would understand anyway, and you're probably right. But its expression, its meaning now is all wrapped up in the relationship that a believer has with God and the relationship because of that relationship with God that we have with each other. Originally, this word, or I shouldn't even say originally, this word... uh, Koinonia uh, was used in business contracts to describe the 
binding agreements that people would enter into. Because the word fellowship means, I have a, or koinonia, I have a stake in this thing. I, I share in this with you. Um, it's a, a way to express the, the bond that we're entering into. So it would be appropriate in a business contract. But it's also used in marriage ceremonies. A quite different kind of a relationship, wouldn't you say? And yet the, the breadth of this meaning is very important that there's something legal, something binding, something very uh, deep about the, 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 uh, what we're pledging to each other in a business uh, contract and the, the, the passion and the intimacy and the love and devotion that's expressed in a, a marriage ceremony between a husband and wife or wife and husband and so all of that is woven into this idea of Christian fellowship. When that word koinonia was brought into the New Testament, it was elevated to a place of high honor because it's used to describe, as I've already said, the kind of relationship God wants with you. He has bound himself legally. He has, he has covenanted himself with you firmly. He has entered into a contract with you, within himself, to love you forever, to extend his grace and mercy to you on the basis of the cross of, the cross of Jesus Christ. But he is also, the Bible says that we are thought, we are thought of in his mind as his bride. And so... Fellowship is a very, very, koinonia is a very, very big word. And I'm not going to deal today with how it applies to my relationship with God any more than I already have. Because what I want to do today is talk about how it applies to how we relate to each other. The koinonia, or the fellowship that we have among us as believers. We have a stake in each other. We have a share in each, in each other's lives based on our mutual uh, the, the mutual experience of the saving grace of Christ. I want to have you read with me a couple of verses of Scripture. I've asked you to turn to Hebrews 10, but um, I want you to say out loud with me on the count of three, uh, or read out loud with me these two verses. First, from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, where it describes what the first church was like. So on the count of three, here we go. One, two, three. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So fellowship, koinonia, described what they experienced, what they were like in that first raw, unadulterated expression of the church of Jesus Christ. Then in 1 John 1, 7, it says this, 1, 2, 3. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we are where God is, we have koinonia. You cannot be in relationship with God without koinonia with one another, without fellowship with one another. It's essential and important. Now we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19, a passage of scripture that does not use the word fellowship. So why in the world are we going there, Pastor? Well, we're going there because it describes, even though it doesn't use the word fellowship, it describes how fellowship gets worked out in the world in which we live. What do we do about fellowship? What does it look like? 
This is, fellowship is one of those words that's hard, hard to get your hands around. We know it's important. We know that it's meaningful, but what does it mean? What does it look like? And so Hebrews chapter 10 gives us that. Really, I'm only going to focus on verse 24 and 25, but we're going to read from 19 to 25. And the reason is I just love this passage. Is that okay with you? I want to hear myself read it. Here it goes. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, and then we enter what I call the Bible's let us patched. Let us patch. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And now our focus. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. That word day in my uh, New King James Bible here is capitalized because it's referring to the day when this age is going to be rolled up. And that day is coming, dear ones. And we are going to experience firsthand the fact that eternity is so much more than any of us can even imagine right now. But until that day, he said, let us do these things. And, and to me and to my mind, this describes what fellowship is like. And the first thing that he says is consider one another. Let's consider one another. And, and to me, it's kind of amazing how little of that we do. We, we can sit in the church, and this is a relatively small church, but you could still sit here in this church and, and just look around and feel like you're in a crowd of some sorts, not really seeing anyone. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, hey, wait, <laughs> that's not fellowship. That's not koinonia. Let's consider one another. Let's take note of one another. The word consider actually means discover Let's discover one another. Take a quick glance at the person sitting to your right and left right now. Some of you forgot that person was sitting there. Let's discover one another. And reject spiritual consumerism. We are so saturated in a consumer-driven culture, that we bring that to our understanding of the church. We bring that to our understanding of our relationships in the body of Christ. See, when I go to, the, when I go to Safeway to buy a toothpaste, I make my choice on a vast array of choices. I choose because it's on sale. I choose because the packaging looks good. I choose because it promises to make me more sexy, and I can sure use a lot of that. <laughs> but it's my choice, right, based on all these options. And sometimes we think about our relationship to the body of Christ that way. I choose because I like their style of music. I choose because there's ample parking. I choose because... 
Well, you name it. Look, those things are important. Don't get me wrong. I, I understand all of that. But there has got to be more about how we understand and relate to one another than me and my, what I want to get out of it or what I think I need to get out of it. We are a part of the global family of God. And we need to consider one another. Not what benefit I think I will derive from it. We need to reject spiritual consumerism and embrace our place in the body. That's what the New Testament says the church of Jesus Christ is like, a body. As much as I would like to, my brain does not get to say to any of the other parts of my body, I don't like you, please be changed. There's a whole assortment that that list could contain. But I could not get along without my spleen. I could not get along without my big toe. My brain would be a pile of, I don't know what, if there wasn't a skull to contain it in. Uh, you know what? We don't get to decide that, you know, I can live my, my Christian life in isolation from the rest of the body. I need you. You need me. <laughs> I just spit over there. I'm not, I'm not usually that excitable. I'm sorry if it landed on you. I want you to watch this, this little clip from the film, The Fellowship of the Ring, out of the Lord of the Rings series, where the decision is made by Frodo to take the ring to Mordor. And this is the founding of the Fellowship of the Ring. And... And I'll have something to say about that when we're done.
Mr. Frodo's not going anywhere without me. No, indeed, it is hardly possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. Oi! We're coming too! We'll have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop it. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission, quest, thing. Well, that rules you out, Pip. Nine companions. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo steps forward to say, I will take the ring to Mordor. And Gandalf says, I'll help you bear it as long as it's yours to bear. Aragorn says, you'll have my sword. Legolas says, you'll have my bow. Gimli, you'll have my axe. Boromir, Gondor will see this done. Sam says, you're not going anywhere without me. And even Pippin and Merry say, hey, you'll have to tie us up in a sack to keep us out of this thing. Each one of them brought something unique to the fellowship. And that fellowship uh, was incomplete without each of them. You know, I, I spoke earlier about our membership covenant things. And one of the things that I think of every time someone hands me one of these is, is, is that, you know, you have my bow. You have my axe. You have my sword. You're not going anywhere without me. We are members of this body. And each one of us is indispensable to the family of God. The next thing that we see in this passage <clears throat> is stir up to love and good works. Stir up one another to love and good works. The word stir up means to incite, uh, to urge on to stimulate, to prompt into action, to fan into flame. How many of you once in a while need somebody to give you a good swift kick in the britches? <laughs> I do. That's part of what it means to be in fellowship. That I get to, uh, you know, sometimes be the one to encourage you to get off your fanny and get going. And I need that from you as well. We are people who stir up one another by... Uh, example, we inspire one another is another way to think about it, by example and by encouragement. You know, a long time ago, years ago, I was in a band, and this is, these are the guys, Motley Bunch, of, Motley Bunch, I'm over there in the upside down sunglasses. We traveled around the country in that van towing a big trailer full of gear. And you can kind of see the leopard skin couch inside that yeah. van there. <clears throat> Listen, we, there was a lot of things. The Lord used us in those days. We went around the country. Hey, I'm, I'm over here. <laughs> we ran around the country singing about Jesus. And I know the Lord used us in those days. But I can tell you th the thing that probably from my perspective was more important than all, the, all of the ministry that we did is riding around in that van with five guys kept us saved. We encouraged one another. We stirred one another up in the faith. 
in a time of our early uh, adulthood, when we were beginning our families and starting to raise children, there was a lot of things that could have gone wrong. But because we were in fellowship with one another, literally locked up in a tin can from, for many, many miles around this country, we were able to help one another navigate those things of life. We stirred one another up to good works. We need that. We need each other. That's part of what fellowship is. The next thing that we see in this passage is we are not to, us, to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. To forsake uh, means to leave behind. Let's, let's be with one another and let's don't leave the purposefulness of that behind. And what I mean by that is it's kind of tempting with all of the other uh, affairs of our life, the other obligations and responsibilities we have, and I'm trying to click this thing and it isn't. Would you move, uh, push F10 or something back there so it'll go forward on there for me? Let's don't leave behind the value of being together. With all the other stuff, as I said, that was going on in our life and trying to decide what are the priorities and how do I get all this done, sometimes we can say, well, that might go a little to the back of the line. Our being together. Because nobody's going to scream and holler. Nobody's going to fire you if you, don't, if you don't come to church. So we think the consequences for not being with the church family are less than the consequences of not accomplishing some of the other things that we have about or that we have to deal with. Dear ones, can I just and look, I've got a stake in people coming to church, okay? I admit that. But the consequences to you and to all of us when we put the assembling of ourselves together further back in the line are grave. They're grave. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, don't make that mistake of forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. There's a lie involved in this. A lie from, from our enemy, the devil. This is the lie. That you don't matter. Sorry. Now I'm stepping on people. I'm spitting on them, stepping on them. The lie is you don't matter. See, when I go to a movie, it doesn't matter whether I'm there or not. That movie's going to be, nobody's going to see me. It's dark in there. The movie's going to play. It doesn't matter if I show up late. Nobody cares because it's about what's going on on the screen. If I go to a concert, same thing because it doesn't have anything to do with what's going on out there. It has everything to do with what's going on up here. When we think of the church of Jesus Christ like that, we've believed a lie. That what's essential, what's significant, what's important is going to happen up here. That's a lie. The gathering of the people of God is not anything like what I just described. The gathering of the people of God is like an all-hands meeting. Mm -hmm. We, and it's not the same gathering, it's not the same meeting without each one of us. 
Now I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to wade into something that I, I probably shouldn't. It's, it's, it's really kind of the third rail of church life. But here we go. It has to do with getting to church on time. <laughs> Listen, I don't, I don't keep notes. Or the, well, the ones I did have, I burned. So, no, I don't, I don't, I don't keep notes. <laughs> and the only reason I'm, I'm even venturing, venturing into these difficult waters is because I care about you. I care about the church, and I care that we don't hold, that we don't are deceived by this lie. Look, in every household, there's going to be people who are the ones that are always on time and the people who never are. That's just the way it is, and there's no use fighting about it. <laughs> Give it up. I don't worry about it. Years ago, Sue and I decided the way to keep our marriage was we take separate cars to church. So. <laughs> I know what it's like. Look, I got, I got a traffic. I got... I got a ticket for speeding on the way to church one time. I, I know what this is like, and I'm not, you know, so. Uh, give, uh, so hear me say, I give you, I give you grace, all right? I don't, I'm not worried about that. Unless the reason you're late or the reason that you don't come is because you don't think it matters then I am all over that. Because that is a lie. If your thought process is, well, Starlene is a great singer. She'll get things going and nobody will miss me. I can come in late. If that's the reason, if that's the thinking, it's ungodly. We can't afford to allow that thinking about how I'm related to the church family, to the body of Christ, to exist unconfronted. So there you have it. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. Then finally, he says, exhorting one another. Now the word exhorting... It's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, parakaleo, the one who comes alongside to help, exhorting one another. It means this. It means to call to one side for the sake of going on together. We are meant to make our way through this life together. And as members of the body of Christ, koinonia, kinonia, fellowship means that I'm I'm constantly calling you alongside so that we can go on together. You are constantly calling me alongside so we can go on together. We do not do this alone. We, the Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation. It was not meant to be lived alone. We do this together. Now, I understand that you can take it too far. And some of us have been, and I have been. I've been in uh, church families where people just, you know, just always poking their nose in my business. 
And so I know you can take it too far, and we need to be willing to give each other some space, right? But we can't afford to let that giving of each other space to become indifference, that I don't care. We can't go there. Somewhere there's a balance there where I'm willing to keep an eye on you without spying on you. You know what I mean? Somewhere in there, there's this balance that is what fellowship is. I'm not indifferent to you. You're not just another body in the room. So I'm watching, you know, and, and I'm taking, I, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that I can't do this without you and you can't do it without me. So giving space but not giving place to indifference and being unwilling to let anyone go it alone. You know, you've seen this, you've experienced it. If not firsthand, you've observed it. Where? For, for a vast number of reasons that I won't go into. People will start to kind of develop some distance, some space. And it starts to get extended. You know, maybe, maybe you see them every single week for months on end. And then all of a sudden, maybe every other week, maybe once a month. And because we're so, you know, laissez-faire about a lot of this stuff, we, we, don't, we don't say anything. We don't do anything. We don't know what to do. But when that pattern begins to develop, there needs to be something in the body of Christ as us as members of this body of saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not willing to sit by and let you just distance yourself from the life that God wants for you to know among us without at least saying something. And I am personally not willing to let myself drift off into that situation. You've heard me say this before. But look, things change and people, uh, you know, relocate and move different jobs. Sometimes people get sick of listening to me. That's okay. And you need to move on to some other church. That's fine. Let us bless you as you go. Let us bless you as you go. Let's don't let's treat these relationships with uh, enough respect that we don't just disappear on one another. That we but really what I want to focus in on is the, the tendency of human beings when they're going through tough stuff to isolate themselves. Dear ones, you've been there so you know you need someone coming after you then. You need someone to call. You need someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, can I pray for you? I haven't seen you in a while. Everything okay? We need to be willing to go to go that far with one another because that's what exhortation is, what exhorting one another means that I'm calling you alongside so we can go on together.